Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe. Those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Ellen Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log in by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Don't forget the forward slash chat. We do have a great chat room, and Ravinder loves to boast about it. So please share your wisdom with us today, Ravinder. I don't know about the wisdom, but I do love the chat room because... It's a great group of people, and I'm always learning more. And right now, we are having a discussion as to who knows exactly what Stoicism even is. So, yes, the conversation is already getting fascinating in there. So if you can join us, do so. Not if your boss is watching, because I don't want anyone getting into trouble. And not if you're driving either. The cops aren't very fond of that. They've got rules against it, I think. So anyway, do come join us. That's provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. And we will learn more about Stoicism, of course, today, because our show uh, our guest is going to be discussing some stoic exercises for mental fitness. A provocative book, a book I enjoyed. All right, in today's spotlight, I want to take on the question, does it really matter? Think about all the issues we are presented with in our everyday life. When you list them in your head, you will find that perhaps you are concerned about the traffic between home and work or the coffee you spilled on your shirt or blouse, or some lying politician, or a flood in a foreign land. Then ask yourself, does it really matter to you in the here and now? Is there anything you can do about it? How do these concerns make you feel? I recently posted a new science study that demonstrated stress is communicable. That is, as the researchers put it, the stress of others can change your brain. Quoting an article that appeared in Science News, in a new study in Nature Neuroscience, Dr. Jadeep Baines and his team at the Cumming School of Medicine's Hotchkiss Brain Institute at the University of Calgary have discovered that stress transmitted from others can change the brain in the same way as a real stressor does. Further, brain changes associated with stress underpin many mental illnesses, including PTSD, anxiety disorders, and and depression. Recent studies indicate that stress and emotions can be contagious. Whether this has long-lasting consequences for the brain is not known. Close quote. Not only can the stress of another change your brain, it can impact your gut as well. Social stressors have a larger impact than you might think. Quoting again, we found that even a single exposure to social stress causes a change in the gut microbiota, similar to what is seen following other much more severe physical stressors. And this change gets bigger following repeated exposures, says Dr. Kim Human, Distinguished University Professor of Neuroscience at Georgia State. Thinking about that for a moment, if you allow the day's news or the traffic gridlock, an angry driver, screaming children, and or any number of daily so-called stressors to stress you, then you are, in effect, infecting all of those around you. Is that what you would do if you had a nasty flu virus? We don't tend to go hunting a flu virus, but we do often hunt stressors. We open Facebook and, without much of a delay, find a post that riles us up. How can someone be so stupid? This is but one of a myriad of matters that we hunt, consciously or unconsciously, 
that create stress. Perhaps our motivation in seeking out these stressors is our way of showing the world we know better. We're exceptional, smarter, more caring, and or so forth. Then there are those stressors we find fun. The horror movies, the crazy inverted carnival rides, etc. Why do we chase these things? Is it possible that Freud is correct? We chase them in order that we know we're alive? It's the Thanatos urge that drives us? Would we do so knowing that the stress is contagious and has the same influence on the body as that nasty driver in traffic? Realizing that stressors are contagious adds a new dimension to how we deal with stress. Maybe, just maybe, we should actively commit to become somewhat impervious to stress. We could choose to minimize, minimize, I'll get that set, the stressors. Reframe how we view those stressors. Seek internal refuge from their clamor. Even adapt a more stoic attitude toward life. My thoughts anyway. What are yours, Ravinder? You know, I found all of that really interesting. Um, I was like, I actually did my own experiment, totally unrelated to to what you were have been talking about, you know, but for the last month, six weeks, you know, for the last few years, I've had this habit of I'd get up in the morning and as I'm dressing, I watch the news. I catch up with everything that is going on. But for the last six weeks, I turned it off. So I wouldn't watch the news at all. And I just play my favorite music instead. And there is a profound difference. You know, it's really hard to define the difference other than a greater sense of peace inside. So when you talk about stress being communicable, you know, I think you're totally right. And I think I've had that experience many, many times. I think we all have. So I would have said prior to your front end piece that it was just the stress that comes from people that you care about. So if you're upset or the boys are upset, then I get upset too. I just do, or you know, there is just that stress. And however much you, I try to push it off, it is still there. So what you were talking about, as I said, makes perfect sense. But then you have society at large, and society at large is um, all under stress over government and politics and this view and that view. And there is so much division going on right now that I think that has created a great deal of stress. And it doesn't make sense to me. You know, people, when you bring it back to comparing it to horror movies and suspense thrillers and those rides at the fairgrounds that just make me want to throw up, <laughs> it's like, well, why do people do that? We all know that meditation is really good for you. And we are generally aware that it's good for you because it brings down the heart rate. You know, it slows everything down and it's just healthier for you to live in that state. So then why do most of us seek the opposite so frequently? You know, one of the things I can think of is people don't want to think. So when they have the thrills, because when you're in a, a calm, relaxed state, well, you've got plenty of room to think. You've got plenty of time to be on your own. And I think people want to hide from that. So in addition to the death urge, I think it's, you know, people want to hide from themselves. So they seek thrills and they seek games and they watch horror movies. And yeah, it's not good for you, everybody. Well, you know, if the stressors are contagious, perhaps the calm is also. And maybe that's why I'm so laid back and calm, <laughs> is your calmness is communicable. Well, that's good. That's really good. So, yeah, there's more benefits to it. So everyone go out there and spread a little bit of calm. Turn off the news. Turn off the negativity. You can't do anything about the bulk of it anyway. You know, there's one thing to be informed, and there's a different one to be so enmeshed in it that it's eating you up from the inside out. So, no, let it go. Amen. Relax, have fun. All right, every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our show featured the work of Dr. Robert Leahy, and we specifically discussed his new book, The Jealousy Cure. Alan wrote, great show, great guest, great info. CB remarked, 
I have purposely not looked up old girlfriends on social media for the sake of my wife. I realize in my case, looking them up would only be satisfying a sense of curiosity that is not worth the entertainment value. Beth wrote, good relationships involve accepting the emotions of your partner and not telling them they should not feel that way. Moving on, Jason wrote, I love your show and really love your InterTalk programs. Thank you for providing such powerful tools. And Jackie wrote, hello, I'm a coast-to-coast insider, and I just listened to your interview with George Nury. I couldn't believe it. When I heard your story about crazy drivers, I was stunned. You were telling the truth. Listen to this. When I was about eight years old, I fell from the monkey bars at school. My mom came to get me, and the nurse told her to take me to the ER. Mom was frantic because I kept passing in and out of consciousness. Turns out I had a concussion. My mom was normally an easygoing driver. This day, she was blowing the horn and flooring it in our VW bus. A woman in front of us kept blocking our car, giving my mom the finger and hitting her brakes. I will never forget that drive and how upset my mom was. Today, when my husband gets nuts about another driver being crazy, I remind him of my mom trying to get to the hospital, and I ask him to just let them go. They may be an idiot, but you never know what's happening in that other car. It might just be someone trying to get to the hospital. Now, you know, this is a story that I, of course, shared on Coast to Coast. Not her story, but the possibility of how you reframe a situation. And when you reframe it, if you, if you believe that that car in front of you that just cut you off may possibly be in a hurry to the hospital, they have a small child in the back seat, in need, dire need. The way you respond is entirely different than if you're just viewing that driver as rude, discourteous, and cutting a cue. And, and we have the power to do this. All we have to do is begin to reframe these incidents that we, we encounter in our life, and in so doing... We can get back to some of that calm Ravinder was talking about. Okay, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but we do love your comments, so please keep them coming. You can opine by writing to me at Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at EldonTaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. We do sincerely appreciate your thoughts and ideas. Now we have an event coming up pretty soon at East West Book in Seattle. So, Ravinder... Tell us all about it, please. We do indeed. There's actually going to be two different presentations. Um, They are totally independent of each other, although they can both complement each other as well. The first is on Friday, March the 30th from 7.30 to 9 p.m., and that is all about self-sabotage, why we undermine our own goals and how to stop doing it. Um, so if there is anything in your, your life where you just see that you're making the same mistakes over and over again, or you can't get that next breakthrough that you want, either in an intimate relationship or in business or in learning, you know, in any area whatsoever, um, that it would be worth you attending that event. That event is only $10 and you will go away with definite answers to some of your own questions. You'll definitely have food for thought there and be able to take the next step. Um, On Saturday, the following day, March 31st, we have a workshop going on. That is from 12 o'clock to 4 o'clock. It's not an awful lot more than the $10 for the Friday, um, but it's going to take it up to the next degree. So how can you not only break through self-sabotage, but how do you just get yourself even better and better and uh, succeed more? Again, regardless of the area that you are working in, um, intimacy, sports, doesn't matter what it is, when your mind is working with you, then success is so much easier. So those are two separate presentations, Friday, March 30th from 7.30 to 9 p.m. and Saturday, March 31st from 12 to 4. And if you book in advance, the tickets are even cheaper. So 
Um, it would be great to see you there if you can. Do come up to us and say hi and tell us that you listen to the radio show. We would love to meet you there. That's East West Book in Seattle. All right, now to today's show. Meditations on self-discipline and failure, stoic exercise for mental fitness with Professor William Ferriolo. Stoicism is typically defined along these lines. It's a Greek school of philosophy founded by Zeno in Athens uh, that, that taught that virtue, the highest good, is based on knowledge and that the wise live in harmony with typically what is viewed as fate and providence that governs nature. Um, and it's indifferent to the vicissitudes of fortune and to pleasure and pain. There, I think, is where we get some of the criticism of Stoicism, but we'll break that down today in our discussion. One of the reviewers, Professor, Professor Ferriolo, had this to say about his book. Bill Ferriolo's Meditations exposes the common human fallacies that lead to depression, anxiety, guilt, anger, and other toxic emotions. From the self-defeating desire to control the minds of others to the unrealistic demand that politicians tell the truth. Ferriola challenges the most insidious human tendencies to undermine one's own peace and solemnity. It is a good read, a read I very much enjoyed, uh, chock-a-block full of uh, opportunities to do some soul-searching and uh, find some real levels of uh, self-realization. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. Professor William Ferriolo received his Ph.D. in philosophy from the University of Oklahoma in 1997. Since that time, he's been teaching philosophy at San Joaquin, Joaquin Delta College in Stockton, California. His books include Cynical Maxims and Marginalia and Meditations on Self-Discipline and Failure, Stoic Exercises for Mental Fitness, the subject of today's show. So on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Professor Ferriolo. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, very grateful for the opportunity. Indeed, my pleasure, sir. I enjoyed your book. We like to know three things on this show, Professor. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And, of course, then how would we use it? To that end, please share with us what dictates your life's ambition and passions. Uh, well, I don't know if I'm a big fan of passions in particular, but uh, I suppose my primary ambitions are to uh, help people understand stoicism its applicability to their lives in the contemporary world. Um, it really was developed as a, uh, a philosophy to be applied directly to one's life. It's not about, you know, abstruse metaphysics or, you know, recondite issues and epistemology. It's about living well. It's about flourishing, about attaining what the Greeks called eudaimonia, uh, the good life. And um, that's certainly what my, my book is about. Um, in addition to the book, of course, I, I teach at San Joaquin Delta College and uh, very interested in helping my students just become interested in philosophy and understand uh, its usefulness, um, you know, uh, across the sort of philosophical curriculum. Um, and I've been doing it, uh, been doing it at San Joaquin Delta College for 21 years now and uh, thought it was time to sit down, write out some meditations and see if anyone else might be interested. All right. Professor, you heard today's spotlight. What are your thoughts on contagious stress? Uh, stress is certainly contagious in the sense that being around other people who are under stress, who are angry, who are frustrated, can certainly um, wear on oneself. It can certainly uh, cause trouble to the degree that one lacks self-discipline. Uh, I would make the case that anytime I allow external events to cause me to become distressed, to cause me to become angry or frustrated, it's always a failure on my part. And I, I do fail in that way on a regular basis, but uh, not as often as I used to. And um, typically, uh, the toxic emotions are not as intense as they used to be. But uh, it, Stoicism teaches us that it's crucial to distinguish between internals, uh, those 
facets of ourself that are directly under the control of what they call the prohiresis, which is to say the faculty of deliberation and choice or the will and externals, which is everything else. So other persons, the environment around me, uh, external events, we cannot control those things, but we spend an awful lot of time obsessing about them, getting angry, getting frustrated. Uh, and this is all ultimately irrational and self-defeating. We would be much better off to exert our effort and our mental energy on the small sphere that is under the control of our will. Uh, try and make yourself impervious to and impregnable to the vicissitudes of common human experience. Try to teach yourself to remain serene and calm and rational. No matter what life throws at you, much better off uh, working on oneself than trying to, you know, fix the world, so to speak. Much easier said than done. However, I, yes. as I read your book, um, I, I, I would basically say that this uh, this could be a recipe of antidotes for the kinds of things that most people become stressed about. Would you agree with that? Yes, that was uh, largely my intention. I wanted to try and reveal to the reader uh, the way that I reason about my experiences and in particular about my, my failures of self-discipline, which is why um, failure makes its way into the title of the book. I wanted to show them the stoic worldview, um, the stoic approach to dealing with challenges, dealing with difficulties. And I wanted to be honest about uh, the fact that we are likely to fail repeatedly. Um, we are likely to uh, slip into old habits, often bad habits. But when that happens, we don't give up. We don't uh, throw up our hands and say, oh, I'll, I'll never make progress. I'll never be able to be serene or calm or rational. We just keep plodding forward, making gradual progress. And uh, hopefully the, the meditations in my book um, show people how to do that and show them something of the value of doing that. All right, and this is a bit of an aside, but I happen to enjoy very much how you introduced yourself in one of the uh, interviews I reviewed before bringing you to the show. Uh, when asked to introduce yourself, you were rather self-deprecating. I mean, you essentially said, well, I don't matter. Flesh that out for us. What do you mean? Well, I, I don't find myself to be terribly interesting and i i don't matter in the in the sense that uh, all of us are ephemeral we're born we live for a while we drop dead um if if there's any value to my presence here it, it might be in the work that i can produce uh it's certainly there's value in interpersonal relationships matt i love my wife and our kids obviously but um I don't know. I've, I've always had this hesitancy about um, people asking me to to talk at length about myself and about my uh, or my career or my intentions or anything like that. My my attitude is, eh, who cares? <laughs> who cares about me? Uh, here's some here's some important information that might be helpful to you. Uh, if it came out of someone else's mouth or off of someone else's keyboard, it would it would be just as important. Well, you know, one of the keys I think to understanding uh, some of the criticism of stoicism uh, you indirectly hinted at uh, when you you stated that you don't think too much of passions many people believe that if you're not passionate you can't be happy if you're if you're not excited about life if you you know you're not really looking forward to something if you're not responding you know uh, emotionally, you, 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 you just must be some, you know, what have you got to say about that? Uh, well, I would, I would make a distinction between emotions and passions. Um, one of my very favorite contemporary introductions to Stoicism is by a philosopher who's a lot smarter than me, a guy named William Irvine. He wrote this book called A Guide to the Good Life on the Ancient Art of Stoic Joy. So Stoics do not advocate passionlessness. This is a, a semantic glitch that comes from confusing uh, lowercase s Stoic attitude with uppercase s Stoic philosophy. People think of Stoicism as sort of keeping a stiff upper lip, keep calm, carry on, don't show your emotions. But that's lowercase s Stoicism. Stoic philosophy teaches us to live in such a way that we do experience joy. We do experience 
positive emotions. But passions, if we think of passions as drives and impulses uh, and kind of toxic emotions that uh, overpower the reason or circumvent the reason, that's what we seek to extirpate or to dampen the kinds of uh, the kinds of irrational or irrational drives that lead to very unfortunate behavior, uh, ignoble behavior, the kinds of the kinds of behaviors that cause needless suffering for oneself and others. So, uh, like I said, I love my wife and there's a there's an emotion I think it's important important to feel and, uh, you know, and our kids and my dog and all that. But when uh, in your intro someone mentioned a story about some some guy driving and flipping the finger um if you respond in a passionate fashion to that if you flip him the finger back and you start cursing him out and you become enraged uh you know nothing positive is going to come of that when you're behind the wheel of a large fast-moving vehicle and you're enraged that does not conduce to a good day for anybody so I would Amen. draw that between passions and emotions. That's right. All right. Now, you, you bridged us to philosophy, so I've got a break coming up. When we come back from the break, I want to discuss with you some of the criticisms that great minds of philosophy have had with regard to it and, and get your response to that. And then we'll go back into directly into your book. But I want to bridge that by reminding our audience that essentially uh, one of the, the real writers of uh, Stoicism, and I'm sure Professor Ferriolo will be fleshing this out more, is Marcus Aurelius. And you want to bear in mind that his words, waste no more time arguing about what a good man should be. Just be one is really what this show is about. We'll do a little philosophy, but we'll come back to being, just being a good person. We're speaking with Professor William Ferriolo about his work and book, Meditations on Self-Discipline and Failure. You can learn more about our guests by visiting provocativeenlightenment.com and clicking on the links to today's show or by checking out his page and book at amazon.com. Now, we have a video for you in our chat room featuring the philosophy of Stoicism and its story of life. So if you're not in the chat room already, now's the time to get on over there, and you can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do please stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra-prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicki wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD, and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor.
faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof, her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you. She tied you to a kitchen chair, she broke your throat and she cut your Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Professor William Ferriolo about his work and book, Meditations on Self-Discipline and Failure. Uh, you probably heard me say in the first half, as far as I'm concerned, it's a marvelous uh, guide for, shall we say, an antidote to the way uh, we lose control of our emotions, uh, the stressors, and how we handle them in life today. So I highly recommend the read. You can learn more about our guests by visiting ProvocativeEnlightenment.com uh, and clicking on the links to today's show or by checking out his page and book at Amazon.com. Again, the book, Meditations on Self-Discipline and Failure. Now, we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some true significance to them. Music psychology is a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. So we just played some of Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Please tell us, Professor, why is this music important to you, and how does it inform us about who you are? Well, I think it's important to inculcate gratitude uh, for the mere fact that we exist at all. Um, I've written on this topic. I, I won't go into it in any great depth here, but uh, whether one believes that the universe is the product of intelligent design that, uh, you know, created a place in which life would eventually evolve, or whether you believe in uh, an infinite multiverse of possibilities and, well, one of them had to be anthropic, or whether you think it's random chance, the fact of the matter is, it is wildly unlikely that the world would turn out in just this way that it would be inhabited by you and I. Um, if you consider our circumstances living in the contemporary Western world, where I, I suspect you and I are both reasonably well-fed, we have access to healthcare, we have access to this technology we're using right now. Um, anyone who can't muster gratitude for all of that, I think is likely to struggle. Um, when we encounter challenges, when we encounter setbacks and downturns, it's inevitable that we will experience some disappointment for some period of time. But reminding oneself, you know, I didn't have to be here at all. Um, I am going to eat food tonight. It's probably going to taste good and sustain me. Uh, I have a wife who loves me. Or I have a mom who loves me. Or I have friends who love me. Um, and... I can breathe in and out. <laughs> That's uh, it's pretty important to sustaining equanimity and serenity uh, when life is difficult. Very well said. I truly share that feeling with you. Although I probably ought to modify the word feeling when I'm talking to a true stoic. That's a joke, of course. <laughs> of course. I do like your book, Professor. I think you heard me probably uh, endorse your book and suggest it to other people. But I have to honestly admit that I've never really been able to warm to stoicism per se. Um, I, you know, I see lots of benefit in adapting some of it. But, but I, you know, I, I share some of the objections of some of the, the great philosophers. For example, David Hume argued that the idea of the heart of both stoicism and natural theology is that the universe is rationally ordered plan. And that's something that can't be proven. I mean, indeed, if a car hits my child and kills her, I could reassure myself that it's all part of a, of a plan. But that's an assertion of faith, not rationality. Um, what do you say to this sort of criticism, Professor? Well, Marcus Aurelius addresses precisely this consideration in his meditations. And uh, I've actually, I, I published a paper on this topic a few years back called uh, God or Atoms. Um, Essentially, the, the question is, is there a God? Is there some form of intelligent design? 
or are we a chance concatenation of atoms, molecules, uh, simply matter and energy subject to the laws of nature? Uh, there's a sense in which the answer is it doesn't really matter. Um, if, in if there is a God, uh, then we ought to be grateful that God chose to actualize a world in which we exist. If there's no God, no designer, our presence here is the statistical equivalent of a miracle, the probabilistic equivalent of a miracle. Yeah. Wild likely would be here. If there is no designer, if there is no overarching meaning or purpose, uh, I still have to choose whether I live in accordance with reason or whether I allow myself to be driven by passions, by whim, by impulse. Um, if there is a God, I still have this question of reason or animalistic impulses. So when it comes to self-governance, uh, I, I don't think it's that crucial to determine whether there is or is not a God. Uh, I would suggest that most Buddhists don't believe in God, or at least are less than interested in that question, but they organize their lives in accordance with the Four Noble Truths, the Noble Eightfold Path. And Stoicism is very similar to Buddhism in terms of its uh, practical counsel. So, if there's a God, all well and good. If there is not, equally all well and good. I still have to learn to govern myself, not go crazy, uh, not become a you know a frothing maniac every time someone cuts me off, etc. Right, I, I, I get that, but let's just to this one particular hypothetical for a moment. Okay. Um, someone loses their daughter, and and uh, um, well, and, and I'll just take it here. We, we had lunch today in a favorite place, and uh, uh, the waitress that always serves us uh, was down and sad. Started a bit of a conversation. She just lost her sister, uh, thirty-two years of age, and. Uh, you know, um, the stoic process, as I understand it, for dealing with that kind of a tragedy is essentially to wall off emotion. I mean, after all, what what good does, uh, you know, feeling hurt and painful and putting all those neurochemicals and catecholamines and whatnot into the system, we should just stiff up our lip it. Uh, to use your words. So uh, respond to me on, on that kind of a specific, as a stoic yourself, well, be it never happens, but how would you deal with that, sir? Uh, well, in my case, it's not uh, entirely a hypothetical. On uh, January 3rd, 2014, my brother Vinny committed suicide. He hanged himself. Oh. And... Uh, I would, I would uh, respectfully quibble with your characterization of the Stoic approach to dealing with that. Uh, I don't believe Stoicism advocates walling off one's emotions or repressing or ignoring or extirpating them. Stoicism advocates reasoning through the, uh, the facts, reasoning through the circumstances in question, and then asking what is the rational approach, what is the virtuous approach to dealing with this severe challenge, this very uh, unfortunate circumstance? I, I, I could easily have um, lost it when my brother, in fact, I did. I mean, I, I, I sobbed uh, uncontrollably when I found out that my brother had killed himself. Once that passed, uh, I then had to ask myself, now that I know my brother is dead, what is the most rational and virtuous way to continue to go about still being a worthwhile husband to my wife, uh, a worthwhile stepfather to our children, to continue to relate to my mother and my brother Nick, who is still with us? Um, I, one can easily descend into despair one can remain in a state of extended grief. But I would argue that it is neither rational nor virtuous to do so. Uh, in fact, maybe sobbing for as long as I did was uh, less than uh, perfectly rational and less than perfectly virtuous, but that's not surprising. I am far, far less than perfect. So it's not about walling off the emotions or, or um, ripping them out by the roots or something like that. It's about... Um, introspecting, 
considering the causes of the emotions and then reasoning about the proper way, the virtuous way, the uh, adult and mature way of dealing with the circumstance that has presented itself. Thank you for some, such an intelligent answer, Professor, and I'm sorry. I, I had no idea I wouldn't have no, gone fine. down that path. No, no, not, not uh, everyone, um, everyone is going to experience this. Everyone is going to die. Uh, everyone is going to meet with death indirectly. Um, it's, I, I would not advocate uh, shying away from the subject. It is, a, uh, uh, it is an ineliminable component of the human experience. So I, it's something we ought to think about. You know, the Stoics advocated um, contemplating these possibilities, premeditatio malorum. Uh, consider in advance all of the vicissitudes of the human condition, including the ones that are frightening and and um, that cause distress and grief and so on. You know, I've heard one of the criticisms of Stoicism is essentially a Stoic uh, could be a candidate of affective disorder, um, you know, a, a psychological condition. Uh, where we don't attach, but I, it, clearly that's not the instance. Um, and I again appreciate your your uh, explanation. Moving on, <clears throat> uh, another objection to Stoicism is all about determinism. Uh, the logos determines every event, and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, and that's you know that's sort of like the fascist police. We can either go along quietly or kicking or screaming. Either way, we're going to go with him. How do you answer this criticism, Professor? Well, as it happens, I've written and published a paper on this topic as well. Uh, <laughs> most of the Stoics, as far as I can tell, were what we would today call compatibilists. That is, they, uh, they believe that all events are causally determined by antecedent conditions and laws of nature, but they believe that we had free will nonetheless. Uh, as it happens, I think that's a mistake. Uh, I think that uh, the Stoics probably should have been hard determinists, which is to say that given that all events are causally determined, uh, free will is therefore an illusion. Luckily, we don't need free will. Uh, we can rectify our character. We can improve ourselves uh, through you know, the various efforts advocated by Stoicism or by other wisdom traditions such as Buddhism. Uh, irrespective of free will. The example I use in my paper is the example of training a dog to do his business outside rather than in the house. Uh, the dog doesn't need free will. The dog doesn't need to understand a Marxist analysis of private property. <laughs> the dog just needs uh, conditioning, you know, reward and punishment, and soon, voila, good dog, right? Similarly, um, we can be conditioned through our own efforts, through encounters with external sources, such as the discourses of Epictetus or the meditations of Marcus Aurelius or talking to, uh, you know, smart people who are working on Stoicism today. And we can, with the help of those external influences, we can begin to order our own minds. We can begin to develop greater mental discipline and become uh, better people uh, who sort of function in a more rational and mature fashion. So uh, I know a lot of people are very attached to the concept of free will and they, they fear that without it life is meaningless. Um, but I, I think I think that that analysis simply entails a mistake. All right. Well, more and more, you know, the world of neuroscience is trying to tell us that we don't have free will, or if we do, we we, we simply have to change the programming in the unconscious because it's uh, it is the dog and the conscious is the tail. But mm, that's another subject. Last objection I'd like to bring up, sir, uh, and that's Nietzsche. Uh, and he was he's rather rude in his objections to stoicism. He states. <laughs> You desire to live according to nature, O oh, you noble Stoics, what fraud of words. Imagine to yourselves a being like nature, 
boundlessly extravagant, boundlessly indifferent, without purpose or consideration, without pity or justice, at once fruitful and barren and uncertain. Imagine to yourself indifference as a power. How could you live in accordance with such indifference? To live is not that just endeavoring to be otherwise than this nature is not living, valuing, preferring, being unjust, being limited, endeavoring to be different. How could you live differently? To that, what do you say, Professor? Well, I start with the fact that I'm a big fan of uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, I think he uh, had a lot of uh, a lot of important things to say about philosophy and about how philosophy ought not to be done. And interestingly enough, I wrote this other paper. <laughs> it's called the. <laughs> It's called the I, I'm going to stop you right now for just a second. Okay. I want you to finish that. But you must okay. have a blog out there where people can find these papers. Do you? It's not exactly a blog. It's just my academia.edu account. But yeah, if you go oh, to we'll, we'll share that with everybody, and then we'll also post it in the chat room so they can go there. They can read these papers, please. They can read them all for free. Uh, you got to pay to get the books, but everything I've ever published in a journal, you can just click on and read for free. So, yeah, it's academia.edu, and then you just type in my name, and uh, I'll, my, my page will pop up, and you can click on any of these links. Okay, that's uh, academia.edu, William Ferriolo, and that's F-E-R-R-A-I-O-L-O. Okay, I'm sorry, Professor. I just want our audience to be able to tap into to this knowledge. So go ahead, pick it up. Nietzsche. Uh, I understand. I appreciate it. Um, this paper, the IDEA method, uh, I laid out a very simple program for applying Stoic principles, and I won't go through the whole thing. I refers to uh, identify the real issue. D refers to distinguish between internals and externals. E refers to exert effort only where it can be effective. And then A, this is where Nietzsche comes in, A stands for accept the externals, but I actually like the phrase that Nietzsche uses better, Amor fati, learn to love fate, right? Learn to love and embrace the fact that the external world is the way that it is. It is anthropic. It does allow for us to be here. It does allow for us to strive and to attempt to improve ourselves and attempt to learn about the world and understand the human condition, etc. Um, as far as Nietzsche's criticism is concerned, again, I, I think there's there's an error here. The Stoics are not indifferent to court. They're not indifferent about everything. Stoics are indifferent about externals, things over which we have no control. We are quite the opposite. We are not at all indifferent about our own character, about our own reason, its application, self-governance, self-discipline. It's true that if you live that way, uh, a person who is indifferent about everything, uh, that's going to lead to stagnation. That's going to be a life devoid of, uh, of anything interesting or valuable. It's going to be a very anemic life. But if we become fascinated with and devoted to the project of self-improvement, of uh, increasing our wisdom, making ourselves more courageous, making ourselves more just, making ourselves more self-disciplined, I think that's more than enough for most of us to uh, keep us busy and engaged uh, for a full lifetime. <laughs> Amen to that. How high is up? All right, look. Yeah, yeah. My office asked you for questions. You submitted 10. I have not asked you a single one of them. But w one of them intrigues me a great deal. And so in the, in the little time we've got left, I've got to ask you. You're a big UFC mixed martial arts fan, all right? Yes, yes. How does stoicism inform your interest in MMA? I love to watch fighters who uh, are able to maintain rational self-discipline, able to think, able to uh, execute strategy, execute their game plan, even when they have just been virtually decapitated by a, a whip kick to the head. Right? <laughs> even, when, even when there's been a spinning back fist that would have killed the average man, uh, to see a fighter not only survive that, not only uh, resist what must be an overwhelming temptation to go down, to give up, to tap out. Uh, I've seen MMA fighters literally allow their arms to be broken, allow their joints to be shredded. Um, 
I've seen fighters keep going when they have head and facial injuries that would qualify for any Friday night horror movie. Um, and they keep going. They persevere through all that. And sometimes they even win uh, through all that. And I'm just enormously impressed by that kind of perseverance and self-discipline. You don't think possibly that you're the reincarnation of Marcus Aurelius? <laughs> I, if, if so, he has really deteriorated over the past couple of millennia. Uh, <laughs> Marcus was a far greater man than I am. Uh, if I'm the, the reincarnation of anybody, you know, he was, he was probably a, a janitor in the 16th century. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> We've got about 30 seconds left, Professor. I want everybody to know how they can learn more about you, where they can get your book. Take a few seconds and share that with us, please. Okay. Hey, there's no reason to learn anything about me. Uh, if you want to get my book, uh, the easiest way to do it is to go to Amazon.com, U.S. or U.K. You can get it through Barnes & Noble. I don't know how many stores it's in, but you can order it online. There's a, an, aggregator, an aggregator called IndieBound, if you prefer the uh, independent bookstores. It's at Hive uh, in the UK. As for me, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, and there's that academia.edu page. But um, uh, as, I, as I always say, I, I am not particularly fascinating. There are a lot of people out there writing about stoicism who are a lot smarter than me. John Sellers, uh, Donald Robertson, William Irvine, Massimo Piliucci, many others. So if you really want to learn about Stoicism, look into their work. Uh, and I wouldn't mind if you picked up a copy of my book as well. <laughs> and I love your humility, but I will say this. I have read some of them. Um, and the practical aspect of the use of Stoicism, I'm going to say go get Meditations on Self-Discipline and Failure by today's author, William Ferriolo. I want to thank you, Professor, for your willingness to share your work with us. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends, let's have them join us as well. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness.